Uh, good morning. And let me see, there's a couple other uh, kind of items of business. Next week is our last uh, Sunday school time. The week following, the 18th, will be Showcase Sunday when the kids and Jody uh, kind of give us a demonstration, a presentation of the things that they've been working on this spring. And that will be during the Sunday class time following the second service in between our first and second service, pardon me. So make sure you come and cheer on our kids and uh, give them good encouragement. Ladies, some of the ladies may still be making their way back from the ladies' retreat, and we trust they had a good time and pray for safe travel, but glad when they're back. And then uh, if you'll open your bulletins, you'll see a couple things that are a a little different than normal. One, there's this insert that has the praise and prayer, uh, rejuvenate your prayer life with this 17-day prayer and scripture guide. There's a couple ways you can find it. Uh, It's on the bulletin on the right, so you could just fold and tear that out or cut it out, use it as a bookmark for 17 days of prayer. Uh, or it's also on the, will be a daily morning feature on Instagram and Facebook, deep, default on our ChurchLink app, if you have the app, and you can find it at hashtag C of C prayer. Also, if you'll look in the bulletin, at the insert, at the title for today's sermon, Sermon, Broken Bonds, Paul, Barnabas, and John. That's John Mark. Letting go and holding on. When I first submitted this sermon title, what I got back was Broken Bonds, PB and J, Letting Go and Holding On. But you didn't want a sermon about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, so we changed it back to the full names. I'm going to start a little bit lighthearted uh, and, and messy, and then we're going to get a little bit more straightforward and not as lighthearted towards the end of the sermon, okay? So bear with me for a minute. Now, we're talking about Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. Who is John Mark? How much do we know about John Mark? Not, I, yeah, okay, thank you for an honest response. It's, uh, not, so we're going to start with a quiz, and this is about mainly Barnabas and John Mark, because we need to familiarize ourselves a little bit with these guys, because... If we don't, they stay on the flannel board. Do you know what I mean by that? How many of you grew up with flannel board Bible stories in classes? They were these sheets, and then you had the little cutouts of the Bible characters up on the thing. Those are great for teaching the stories, but they're kind of cartoony, and sometimes we need to come away from those a little bit to get at the real-life messiness of the early Christians, Paul and Barnabas included, and John Mark, okay? So Barnabas, we'll start with Barnabas. Barnabas' real name was what? If you know, shout it out. Okay, I didn't know until I looked this up either. It's Joseph. Barnabas was a nickname. And his nickname means what? You probably know this. Barnabas, the apostles called him Barnabas. Some son of comfort, son of encouragement, right, is how it's translated. Um, we'll get to this one in a second. But I want to talk about the son of encouragement thing for a minute because it plays in in a second. There's two ways of encouraging people, right? Barnabas, bar means son of, this is a, a Hebrew kind of thing, Aramaic kind of thing, but it's been Hellenized. It's been turned into Greek and passed down to us. Lots of details here. Stick with me. Bar, son of Nabas. But we don't exactly know what Nabas means, even in the Hebrew. It could mean a number of things. It's been through too many translations. It could mean... Something related to prophesying or proclaiming, which puts a different spin on encouragement. Let me give you an example. 
I can encourage my children. Good job, son. You're really good at that. You worked hard. I can also encourage my children. Take the trash out now or there's going to be some consequences. Those are both types of encouragement. Right? We, we think of encouragement as the former mostly, you know, as making people feel good about themselves and building them up. But encouragement in this case may be kind of exhortation, right? So why did Barnabas get a reputation for being a son of encouragement? Maybe he was very good at building people up. Maybe he was good at getting people motivated to, to move, to proclaim, to exhort, right? Okay, it comes in a minute. Barnabas' hometown, anybody know? look here. Somebody said it. Cyprus. That's right. Barnabas was from Cyprus. Plays into it in a minute here as well. Very good. What was Barnabas and John Mark's relationship? Teacher-student, mentor-mentee, something, anything else? Brothers? No. They were cousins. It's interesting. There's one, one, I think this, oops, oh, oh, I showed you the answer. When Peter, do you remember this story? When Peter was miraculously released from prison. So Peter's in prison. The disciples are all praying. They're gathered at someone's house praying for Peter to be released. Did you see the answer? Some of you can read really quickly. So you might have seen it. Rhoda, remember the servant, she goes out to the gate because there's someone there and it's Peter who's been released from prison, answered, their prayers have been answered. She's so excited that she runs back inside and leaves Peter locked out still. At the gate. Remember that story? They were in someone's home. Do you remember whose home that was? It was Mary, the mother of John Mark. Okay, so I bring all this stuff up because... In my mind, John Mark was a little flannel board guy who was kind of a side story. But he was a significant person. Barnabas as well. And there's some characteristics of Barnabas that I kind of want to bring out because what we're talking about this morning is a conflict between Paul and Barnabas. Okay? You following me? A little bit more about the significance of John Mark. So we're going to... This is speculation. You can't prove this. You can't disprove it. Okay, but I'm going to talk about what the early church believed about Mark for a minute. The name Mark is used eight times in the New Testament. Uh, It's linked up with his other name, John. Okay, Mark is a Roman name. John is a Jewish name. He's bicultural. He's, He's fluent in the language of Rome. He can go back and forth between these. And that played into some of the roles he may have played in the early church. Okay, for example, in addition to being a cousin of Barnabas and a co-worker with Paul, it's possible that this was the Mark who traveled with Peter in Rome translating his sermons, memorized his sermons or a good portion of them, and then collected those and wrote them down for us, and thus we got the book of Mark, his namesake. So all of a sudden, this fight between Paul and Barnabas over this guy, John Mark, has some long-term consequences, 2,000 years consequences even, right? If we didn't have John Mark, we might not have the book of Mark in the way we do. So all of that to say, this is a significant person and these are real people. One more thing about um, Barnabas and Paul. 
If Barnabas' name meant the son of exhortation, kind of encouragement in terms of get up and get going, guys, not just, hey, guys, you're all good at that. And Paul was remembered as being so zealous that he was the one holding the coat at Stephen's stoning. He was the one who persecuted the church to prison, maybe even some of them to, to execution. Then you have two very intense individuals working together. Does that make sense? Now, I was a missionary in Japan. What I learned, one of the things I learned there, was the kind of people who will stick with it to get overseas, to tackle another culture, to, to learn a new language, to eat the food that's a little bit unfamiliar to them, tend to be a little bit intense and strong-willed people. Those, the, the rest kind of get filtered out along the way. So you have this distillation of very strong-willed people living in close proximity trying to figure out how to work together. I found myself living in a house with three of them, four including myself. And lo and behold, we were very strong-willed kind of intense people and there was some serious conflict uh, when we lived and tried to work together. This is, I think, something that happens with Paul and Barnabas. So we're going to look at their story here. Um, one more thing about Barnabas. His hometown was Cyprus, but he was converted and kind of raised up in the faith in Jerusalem, also where John Mark was. So these are natives of the Jerusalem church. Paul is not, right? Paul meets Christ uh, on the road to Damascus. He's baptized by Ananias. And then Barnabas and Paul come together in Jerusalem. They're commissioned by the saints in Jerusalem to go out on these mission trips. So here's an example. Uh, then Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and they come to Perga in Pamphylia. John, Mark, however, left them and returned to Jerusalem. That's all we know from this passage. We don't know why. We don't know if he was selfish or homesick or tired or sick or had a conflict with somebody or what. We don't know. We just know that he went back from this passage. But they, Paul and Barnabas, and the, uh, went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went down into the synagogue and sat down. Here's the rest of the story. Uh, this is much later, right? This is a, another, a different trip. This is Acts chapter 15. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Come, let us return and visit the believers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So Paul wants to go back to places where they had planted churches and ministered before and go on an encouragement trip. Good to take the son of encouragement with you when you do this. Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul decided not to take with them one who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in the work. The disagreement became so sharp that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to where? To Cyprus, to his hometown, which, by the way, was one of the locations that they had gone to before. So it wasn't uh, Barnabas' first trip to Cyprus. But it makes sense, right? Here's Barnabas taking his cousin, and he's going to go back and minister in his hometown. Paul chose Silas, and they set out the believers, commending them with, to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strength, strengthening the churches. This was not Paul and Barnabas' first conflict, though. In Galatians, we find out when Cephas, that's Peter, uh, so Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch at this point, and uh, Peter's there with them, and some come from, from Jerusalem. When he says the, the people from James, he's talking about some from the Jerusalem church. I opposed him to his face because he stood self-condemned, for until certain people came from James, that's from Jerusalem, he used to eat with the Gentiles, Peter did. 
But after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. And the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Okay, that was a lot of information quickly. But what I wanted to get is, number one, John Mark is a significant person in the history of the early church all the way till today. Number two, Paul and Barnabas were intense individuals. And they had had some conflict before. But they were also close co-workers and they're on a mission representing Christ doing mission work to the Gentiles. Now, this is where I get hung up. All of that's very ordinary. I've experienced similar things. I've had conflict on a mission team, conflict in a marriage, conflict with family members, conflict with church members. We experience conflict, even though we're doing our best sometimes. But you have Jesus set before us this ideal. Okay, this is the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said of those in ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. If you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. If you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, then come and offer your gift. So you're thinking about the Jewish context, respect for the law, a sense of holiness and sovereignty, religious participation in holy rituals and rites, worship, religion, going to present your gift at the altar, one of the best things that you could do. And Jesus says, I want to show you something that's even more important than that. If you're on your way to the altar and you remember that there's someone who has a grievance with you, you stop. Stop your religiosity and go sort it out with your brother or your sister first. And then go back. That's how important this relationship stuff is. So how do we reconcile that ideal with the reality of Paul and Barnabas breaking up over John Mark? I don't have a great answer. It doesn't resolve well. We do know in their case that uh, Paul mentions John Mark at least twice more. He mentions him in 2 Timothy uh, as someone who helps him with his needs, and he mentions him in Philemon as a, as a fellow worker. So there's some sort of reconciliation and collaboration after this. But after the breakup, there's never any real focus on them again. The focus is on Paul. What do you do in ministry when relationships go sour and they don't reconcile or they don't reconcile fully. They don't go back to what they used to be. How do we bring together this call that Jesus puts before us to put our relationships before even our, our sacrifice at the altar with the reality of Paul and Barnabas breaking up over John Mark or experiences that I had in Japan or experiences that you've had in your marriage or with your kids or your parents or experiences that we've had in church with each other. When you can look back and you can see the point that a relationship went like this, 
And sometimes it never came back at all. And sometimes it came back like this, but it's never what it used to be. What do we do with that? Take a moment, take out the note card in front of you. And if you will, I would like you to write down the name or names or an initial, whatever, of someone that you can think of close to you with whom you've had that sort of experience. I can think of a list for myself, unfortunately. Uh, these are people that I was very close to and all in different circumstances and some of them I'm not as close to as I used to be. Uh, some of them I don't have any contact with right now. And maybe think of the reason. What was the breaking point? You know, for, for Paul, it was John Mark deserted them on a mission trip. He failed somehow in Paul's eyes and Paul didn't want to mess with it again or Paul didn't put any stock with him or he didn't want to take the risk or maybe he thought this kind of disciplinary action would restore John Mark and maybe it did, I don't know. But Barnabas took the other position on it. He was upset. So much so that they they went separate ways after that. Maybe you have a relationship like that. Take a moment, think of it, jot the name down or or the initial, think of the reason and then this is where we're going to land. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount shows us the kingdom. He shows us the way things are supposed to be. He takes everything that he had received, the law, all of the history and the story of Israel, and he fulfills it. He doesn't scrap it. He says, you've heard it said, if you murder, then you're liable to judgment. That's true. But I want to show you, if you're angry in your heart towards somebody, that's the root, that's the seeds of murder, that's the seeds of all this division. So address it there. If you say, raka, which means you you idiot, you fool, you're, you're in danger of the fires of hell, he says. Very strong language, right? That's the ideal. But what do we experience in our lives? We experience what Paul and Barnabas experienced. Sometimes you're doing your very best and things go sideways. Sometimes they go sideways because we're not doing our very best. And it's my fault that some of those relationships are broken. And I've tried to put them back together. And some of it's gone so-so, some of it's gone well, and some of it hasn't gone well at all. So what do I do with that? Because I have not lived up to... Jesus ideal. Here's what I'm going to say. I think Jesus shows us the ideal. In something like the Sermon on the Mount, he shows us the kingdom. He shows it in himself. If we want to know what it's going to look like when when God makes everything right, we look at Jesus. That's what's coming. He says, you want to know what things are going to look like when I come again when I reign in all my glory and there's no more of this shadowlands kind of business, everything that was happened at the fall is undone, this is what it's going to look like. And we have the Sermon on the Mount, we have Jesus' life himself, we have his self-sacrifice, we have his incredible love, we have the way that he worked with people. That's the ideal. So that's our trajectory. That's where I set my eyes. But we're not there yet. So we've had a glimpse of it, but we haven't arrived yet. In the meantime, when Jesus gets ready to leave his disciples, what does he say? 
I'm going to prepare a place. He's going to be with the Father, but I will leave with you a a comforter, the paraclete, the counselor, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. Paul calls the Holy Spirit the deposit, the down payment. Why? Why does he use that analogy? Because there's a promise inherent in Jesus preaching about the kingdom of about the way things are going to look like. The names that you just wrote down, the relationships that I've experienced that are broken and messed up, that I can do my best to fix them, and I should, but sometimes it still goes sour. Jesus has made a promise that he's going to make that stuff right. And in the meantime, while we're waiting in this tension, he has given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as an assurance that we can trust him to reconcile those things. In the meantime, like Isaiah 40 says, we wait upon the Lord. Um, I told you where this ended up wasn't going to be as lighthearted as where it started. It's not easy. It's not a clean, slick answer. Life is hard sometimes. We have from the Old Testament to the New this idea of waiting on the Lord. So in the New Testament, it says one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Patience. Better translation, long-suffering. It's one thing to wait for something and distract myself and not feel much pain. It's something else to suffer in the meantime and hurt with it for a while. And that's where we live sometimes. In the Old Testament... That passage in Isaiah, those who, who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, those who mount up like wing, with wings like eagles. The term for wait there, I love this. I love it. The word for wait is somehow related to a bowstring that's been twisted and pulled tight and held in tension. And that's where it functions. That's what our waiting is like sometimes. Being twisted and then pulled tight and we live in this tension where it's hard sometimes but that's where God is working on us and transforming us and we know that at the other end of it he's going to make everything right and we can know that because he's shown us what it's going to look like with Christ and he's given us a down payment the deposit the spirit to be with us to comfort and exhort us better than Barnabas ever could let's pray God we come to you this morning and uh, we I confess that uh, when I got this sermon topic, I thought this is, it's easy, it's simple, it's, it's Paul and Barnabas and John Mark breaking up. There's not much to this. But the, the more we dig and the more we apply God, the more we realize that there are still some very hard things. That from the very inception of the church, um, we have been a people reminded to be humble that in our best intentions and our, our most fervent zeal, we make mistakes. And that is not our accomplishments or our energy or our intentions that is what saves us. It is your Son. And so it's on Him that we fix our eyes. God, help us to again and again and again reorient ourselves to look to Christ, who is the, the beginner and the finisher of our faith, the one who wrote it and the one who will perfect it. And in the meantime... God, give us a sensitivity to the way that your spirit is with us, who holds us up and comforts us and guides us, who leads us in the ministry of reconciliation as we look and as we wait, sometimes in difficult tensions, sometimes long-suffering. God, we lean on you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.